On this episode of Inside MusicCast, we welcome Michelle Willis, who hails from Toronto and is quickly gaining attention through her appearances opening and performing with Snarky Puppy, as well as her current tour in support of the legendary David Crosby. Recently, Michelle released her debut solo album titled See Us Through, an album that was six years in the making and as mature a debut as you could ask for. The album features eight tracks of very personal lyrical accounts wrapped around gorgeous vocal harmonies. It's beautifully engineered and musically supported by some of the best players in Toronto. It'll rain today, honey. Don't walk so slow. Bring that umbrella you love. Bring a warm coat. Let's walk together. I'll come along too. And we'll watch the rain fall beside. So gray out there I know these days seem to you So bare of sun And catch that light Every corner you can And bring it back home for us So 
grab onto some light Every corner that you can The light keeps you going Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Michelle Willis. Hey, Michelle, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, you know, I first learned about your music uh, through Mike League from Snarky Puppy, and um, I, I caught their concert back in, in May of this past year, and he mentioned uh, to the crowd that a new album is being released on their Ground Up label by this incredible vocalist mm-hmm. named Michelle Willis. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I jotted a note in my phone, and I did some uh, sampling of your tunes uh, at home that night. And mm-hmm. after the first 30 seconds of track one, I, I I went straight to Amazon and bought your CD, <laughs> which, yeah. which which is titled See Us Through. And uh, the thing that hooked me was the, the first track called Home. I mean, the vocal harmonies mm. uh, of, of that song just totally sucked me in. And, um, you know, one of the things Mike mentioned in the concert is that, you know, you were another Joni Mitchell. And, and <laughs> would you agree with that? I mean, uh, is, is, is Joni uh, an, inf- an influence? Oh, my God. She's a massive Massive influence, yes. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't agree with it that I'm like Jody Mitchell. I mean, I've been but, yeah, she's a huge influence on me, for sure. And, and, you know, one of the tracks on the new album, uh, See Us Through, that, that doesn't have – or uh, that has moments that, uh, you know, closely resemble that of Joni's style is, is to me anyway, it's called Persimmon, which is one of my favorite tracks yeah. on the album. And, and it happens on the on that first apparent key change. And when you listen to the album in general, you know, it made me wonder, you know, what other musicians and vocalists uh, that influenced what you do? Oh, wow. It's a, I mean, it's a giant list. Um, yeah, Joni, for sure. Uh, Sean Colvin has been a big influence on me oh, okay. in the last few years. Uh-huh. Donny Hathaway has been a, a large influence on me. Okay. Paul Simon, The Beatles, mm-hmm. Ray Charles, yeah. Carol King. But I've spent a lot of time just feeling um, like the music that I've, I just happen to love to listen to for a long time was gospel music coming from, you know, over like the 50s and 60s, and and um, I don't know, I, I just was, I've always been really drawn to that sound. Mm-hmm. I, obviously, I don't play gospel music, but right. it's, I just feel like that, the kind of sorrow that you hear in, in a lot of gospel music, that it's like this joy, it's like innate joy and sorrow at the same time. Right, right. Um, is sort of what I hope to... Uh, into what I do. You know, it's funny that you mentioned gospel and uh, Sean Colvin, uh, uh, Michelle. You know, it, it sounds, mm. you know, the short list of the music that you're, you're mentioning, it sounds most of these artists have, uh, or genres have, a certain honesty, a transparency to it. I mean, you listen to Sean Colvin stuff, and, and she's just like an open uh. book. She just opens, she bleeds lyrics. Yeah. She, you know, she bleeds mm-hmm. her hearts to the point that it's almost painful for you. <laughs> you know, I, I love her music. Yeah. I love what John Leventhal did for her as, as a producer. But you listen to the gospel, and it's almost the same thing. So yeah, I'm taking away from your answer that it, that type of transparent, bleeds the lyrics type of thing is, is sort of what you're about. Is that true? Is that uh, a misinterpretation? I well, I try to be. <laughs> that is always the hope. I um, I can't honestly write something that I haven't experienced in some way or another, either myself or just watched a friend go through it. Or mm-hmm. um, and, and I have a I have a problem with saying things that don't make sense and yeah. singing about them. Even though I like a lot of music that is like that, there's great music that. Where the lyrics don't make any sense, and exactly. you know, they're funny or they're just nonsensical. But 
I just can't do it. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you're saying that because prior to our interview, uh, me and Rick were talking, and we, he, you know, Rick was saying. Just the way she writes lyrics. Remember that, Rick? Uh-huh. About you know, it's it was it's a different approach of, of even people your age um, that would approach lyrics, and it's sort of. And I said, I think she's an old soul. She she approaches music or the lyrics in a very, you know, old school manner, and it's um, it comes out really nice. I, I like what Rick said. Is that uh, she doesn't write things the way people today write things, you know? So it's very nice. Yeah, uh, that's lovely. Yeah. Um, hey, I've got it. I've got it. Uh, go ahead. You were going to say? Oh, I was just going to make fun of myself. For <laughs> <not being> <laughs> <laughs> I know. Too many compliments, right? Anyway, hey, I've got a question regarding uh, your, your your family. We read somewhere that your family used to gather around and, and uh, you know, uh, singing songwriter songs like James Taylor and Joni Mitchell stuff. <laughs> yeah. And Is that mm-hmm. true? Is that true that you guys used to do that? Very much. It's, it's funny. We didn't actually start doing that, I don't think, until I was around 13 or 14, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit younger than that. But yeah, I can remember being around that age and every, basically every holiday, oh, I don't know if you can hear me, sorry, there's a garbage truck passing me, wonderful. Um, every holiday we would, we would just have like a big sing-along. We had a piano in our house and um, my uncle's a fantastic guitar player and my mom's beautiful singer. My other uncle would, there was one year he just, he'd never sat behind a drum set in his life. <laughs> my brother had this crappy old drum set and my uncle was just like, look at me, no, this is my life. That <laughs> uh, was really funny. Everybody just <laughs> jump, <laughs> jump on in, right? <laughs> yeah. And we, cool. Yeah, we play, we sang a lot of Paul Simon, a lot of Beatles, a lot of uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash and yeah. Um, yeah. Joni and, uh, yeah, all of those songs. Well, we just we love singing in harmony. I think so. Yeah. So so aside from discovering your own voice, um, you know, what other mm-hmm. instruments did you uh, discover as you were growing up? What do you? What were you playing? It was always piano. We uh-huh. always had a piano around. I don't even know what came first, to be honest, because I <laughs> I remember like sort of pulling myself up onto the bench when I was really small. <laughs> My mom taught me piano first. And then I ended up going to uh, lessons sort of off and on. And yeah. I don't know. It's I have memories of, actually, I'm, this is shocking because my family doesn't listen to records on like vinyl anymore at all. But we still had, we were still listening to vinyl at home. And I can remember, yeah, going back on Carol King albums and just trying to lift all that stuff. And I don't know what else I was playing. Oh, you know what I loved was um, Albert Flasher. Oh, wow. Guess who? Yeah. Yeah, I love that song. And as a kid, that was like a dream goal to learn how to play that kind of, And all that kind of <laughs> piano, or what's that other guy in New Orleans? Long John Baldry. Don't try to play no boogie woogie on the King of Rock and Roll. <laughs> <laughs> that song, too. I was just like, I want to I wanna sound, I want to be able to play that. Those yeah. kinds of piano sounds were always my favorite. Very cool. Kind of. Piano. Yeah, so yeah. so so you were born in the UK, and then you guys moved to Canada. So, um, you know, yeah. how old were you when that transition took took place? When you moved, I was still an infant. Oh, really? Okay, so you you're yeah. you're Canadian the whole way through of your whole life. Basically, yeah. Gotcha. Pretty much. <laughs> I, I like to hold my passport. Although now I don't even know if 
I don't think I'm an, an EU citizen anymore. I'm just a UK citizen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you attended uh, Humber College and studied in their jazz program, yeah. and you know they have a, yeah. a they have a very well, from what I discovered anyway, it looks like they have a very intense and in, in, inclusive program that not only covers music education but the business and technological side. And uh, it seems yeah. like it seems like a great program. What was what was your impression of the music school, and and what did you take away from it? Oh, it, you know. It, I think any music school, if it's a good program, you're lucky to go through it and, and meet great friends that you'll end up playing with for years later, yeah. hopefully. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. we were really lucky there. We had a fantastic faculty. I always felt like if I was really driven, which I wasn't, then I could have taken private lessons from a few of the faculty that I really loved uh-huh. and just not gone to college and just yeah. studied privately with those people and just done the work on my own. And I think that's that's true, but the thing about music school is just that you you you're also learning how to be with other musicians, you know. And uh right, I was right. lucky being in a being there as a piano player and not as a singer because I, I just think that singers get isolated. Even in a music school they, they get isolated and get taught to not think of themselves as musicians. Really? Um Yeah, it's weird. It's it's just a weird epidemic in music schools. Mm-hmm. But my experience at Humber was was very good, and um, I'm, I learned a lot, and I don't think I would be the same piano player I am without it. So, you know, post-graduation from Humber, uh, tell us how your path to music, your music career began. I mean, I'm sure you were probably gigging and, and doing things during college, but tell us about the Toronto music scene and, and how you got involved and the kind of gigs you were doing to you know hone your skills and, and even make ends meet. Mm. Initially, when I got out of school, I started playing at piano bars mm-hmm. in Toronto, and there's a cool scene. There's not that many left, and if you can get those gigs, you, you kind of hold on to them for dear life because yeah. they, they're regular and they, they pay well and they're fun, you know? Sure. Um, so that, for a number of years, really until I moved out uh, out here to Brooklyn, that was sort of my, my main gig, and I was teaching as well. And I was because of that, I was just constantly learning tunes, and that's sort of how I, that's a big part of how I study songs, is, is just by learning other people's writing. And sure. Aside from that, I joined a band called Three Meter Day. Right. Um, and before that, uh, it was another band called Hits the Henry's, and uh-huh. both of those bands were led by a guy named Don Rook. Mm-hmm. You guys would love Don. He's yeah. a fly guitar player, and the Henry's is a really cool band. Mary Margaret O'Hara sang with them, and uh, a whole, a whole, Becca Stevens actually sang with them as well. Really? Which was a weird coincidence years later, yeah. So with with Don and uh, the violinist Hugh Marsh, we formed a band together, and... We wrote together. We rehearsed two, sometimes three times a week, every week for a few years. And that was a massive education for uh-huh. me. It, it felt like I had just had four years of straight jazz and loved it. Uh-huh. And I think upon graduating, I, I, didn't, I, was, I didn't know what to do with it anymore. <laughs> I needed to not, not study jazz for a while. Yeah. And it was the most incredible education from those two. I learned so mm. much about listening and musical freedom and, and mm-hmm. exploration. And but I, yeah, I learned I learned a, a lot from those two. And they also just fed me with so much music. And uh-huh. actually, that's how I 
learned about Sean Colvin and yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, and I was playing a pump organ in that band uh, and singing, and Don was writing the lyrics, and I was mostly writing the music, and then we mm-hmm. sort of all arranged it together. Well, in that band, uh, Three Meter Day, um, you guys released an album in 2012 called Coasting Notes. And uh, I, I had a chance to listen to that album, and I really liked it. And, um, oh, cool. you know, comparing that to your new solo album, the, the vocal parts on that Three Meter Day album contained, you know, mainly your lead vocals and a lot less harmony than mm-hmm. what we hear on the solo. And in, and in many cases, the songs are, I don't know, I, I guess maybe a little darker and, mm-hmm. and maybe more earthy. And it's... It, mm-hmm. and, and I hadn't heard that before. I, obviously, your solo album is the first thing I heard. And comparing them, you know, it, it's it's a really cool comparison of your range and what you can do. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah. It, you know, now I listen to that album and I, I, I just sort of shudder at the way that I was singing. But it's just a silly thing. I, I think that album came out of, it was basically our each of our sort of, therapy, you know, everyone was going through their own difficult times and um, having those rehearsals every week and just playing and feeling so good. We all just really loved each other's playing and, and love reacting mm-hmm. to the sound of each other's work. So mm-hmm, it, sure. it, um, it was born out of a lot of love. Mm-hmm. But I think when we finished that band, we all immediately started working on our own solo stuff, which was, they all had it changes the differences right you know but sticking with that three meter day album for a second when i when i hear when you listen to that album and you kind of get the mood of it and when you know the way you stylize you know uh-huh. your vocal parts on that album it's it's somewhat this i'm a big fan of of uh, a musician or a, a singer out of the uk named laura marling are you familiar with laura oh i I'm not, but I've heard her name before. Oh, you got to listen to her stuff. But there's, I mean, your, your voices aren't exactly the same, but I get kind of a sense because a lot of her stuff is real dark and sort of brooding and, and, and sometimes it's really uplifting right. as well. And, and I really kind of got that same vibe from, from listening to that Three Meter Day album. So anyway, I just uh, did, I wasn't sure if you knew Laura Marling or not, but. No, ahead. I'll check her out. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, Michelle, I just happen to have a track. From that Three Meter Day album, uh, which was titled Coasting Notes, that was released back in 2012. And let's go ahead and stop for a second and play a track. Uh, this is one that I, I found kind of cool. This was a, one of the more up-tempo tracks and maybe more quirky tracks in the album. This is Reputation Girl from our guest today, Michelle Willis, and the band Three Meter Day on Inside Music Cast. Drove across our neighbor's lawn And even the girls was impressed Hey, yes I remember when she babysat Dave She took us out for a drive Dave's mother's car was twisted up But at least that thing survived She funky, uh, just an unholy mess. Whoop, whoop, mm-hmm. 
tell if that was bad or good School, she spat it, she eschewed it Like a library book, she never renewed it She renewed it, oh well She took a straight job at the coffee shop One espresso pool was all that they got Got another gig at the grocery store She bagged that and a whole lot more Reputation, girl She cruises downtown in a caustic dress Reputation, girl Is she funky or just a, a funky mess? She drained a 14 beer Well, then there was it some of Franco's nanny plus his best friend Rob She fed them hash and, and wished them well At the end of the summer they could barely spell And they were 12 about your connection with Iggy and the Stooges. I mean, uh, you know, how did you uh, meet, how did you you know meet uh, James Williamson, the guitarist, and uh, and uh, and and were you involved in their 2013 release that was called uh, Ready to Die? Yes. So that was hilarious. <laughs> um, 
basically, James is a fan of slide guitar. Okay. And gotcha. at some point, Don Rook, the, the slide guitarist in, the band, in our band, he received an email order, I think, from James Williamson saying, I'd like to buy all of your CDs or something like that. And anyway, they became pen pals and uh, started writing back and forth. And sooner or later, James invited us to come down to California. It was right after we released the album. Mm -hmm. And he invited us to come down and uh, do a little tour in the Bay Area in California. So he did, and it was incredible. It's totally (laughs) surreal. James was a fantastic host and um, was very kind. And um, just, it was like we were all old pals. We had a really good time together. Very cool. Didn't you play? Didn't you play pump organ on uh, on a track? Exactly. So when we got home shortly after, uh, James sent us a track from the Ready to Die album, and uh, he had written it for his friend who had passed away, and asked us if we would do some bed tracks on it. So I don't even know if you can hear the the pump organ on it. No. I, when I remember when I listened to it, like, is it there? But, I mean, it's there. It's in the liner notes. So. Uh, yeah, that's how that connection happened. We actually, we never met Iggy. We really only met uh, James. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's an honor. It's, it's so cool. <laughs> that's cool. To be connected with them. So tell us about your um, eventual connection to Mike League and Snarky Puppy. And, and when did you first right. meet, meet Mike? And, you know, what, what transpired that led you to opening for the band during some of their tours? Right. So I used to work at a bar in Toronto, which is one of the last standing jazz clubs in Toronto. Uh-huh. It's called the Rex Hotel. Okay. And I was a bartender there, and uh, so a year years ago, I, I think we we realized it was eight years ago now. Um, <laughs> the guys were coming into town, and one of the bartenders at the Rex said, "You guys got to check out this band, Stucky Puppy. They're great." And so we did, and and uh, shortly after, Mike and I became friends, and I went down. I opened for them. I think someone told Mike that. I was a musician or something, or I, I don't know how it all happened, but he got a hold of my album and, you know, he was just so, he's, Mike's so constantly connecting people and connecting <laughs> yeah. with other people, so yeah. he was just always very, you know, if they came to town, I'd, I'd sing a song with them or a couple girlfriends of mine, we would go up and sing back up on a tune or, we were just, whenever they were around, we would always work together and I went down to Texas and opened for them in 2010. And eventually he put, he loved the Coasting Notes record a lot. So okay. He put that on his label mm-hmm. when they were still affiliated with Ropadope. Okay. And when I was finishing up the masters for my record, I sent them to Mike and he sent me this email. I was so, so excited about it. I was taking a course at the time and I get this email from Mike that said, Michelle, I love the record so much. Yeah. And it would be our honor if you would, A, release it on our label and be taken on the road with us as we tour Europe. Nice. <laughs> uh, in a couple months. <laughs> and I was literally on my way to a class at 9 a.m. Right, to learn about vocal science. It's <laughs> 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 much more exciting. I couldn't really <laughs> sit through that class very comfortably. <laughs> no. Hard to concentrate when you just got an email like yeah. that. You know, it's funny, yeah. Eddie and I just uh, went up to Chicago a couple weeks ago, and mm. we saw, I don't know if you know this band, they're from the UK, they're called Incognito, and uh, 
their lead singer. Heard of them, yeah. The band leader is a guy named Bluey Monic, and uh, we've had him on the show before too. And he, at the end of the show, he was talking about all the different people that have, you know, they've been around for 37 years and all the different people and all the different vocalists, they, they've had over a thousand vocalists, he said, you know, musicians. In, within the band no. and musicians throughout the career of the they band. Have, yeah. And I kind of thought, as I was sitting there thinking about that, I thought, you know, Snarky Puppy is sort of like that. They're almost less a band and more like a collective, you know, where they, they're just, I mean, they have core <laughs> members and stuff, but there are so many people that weave their way in and out of that yeah, band. And I, exactly. And just, yeah. if, you, if you get to know Mike, I've met him, we've had him on the show and he's, he's that kind of guy. He just seems really open and warm and he's just always wanting to explore and find, you know, new and interesting mm-hmm. people to, mm-hmm. you know, to weave in and out of, of what they do. Yeah, Mike is incredible. Yeah. He really is. Michelle, you were asked to perform um, a track on, on the recent Family Dinner 2 album, and it was you and it was Laura, Laura Mavula, and uh, on the track called yeah. Seeing to the Moon. Now, that had to be something really special just to, to be asked to be on that project. Yeah. But uh, those two albums are beyond amazing. Yeah. You know, they're so diverse and they've been such a hit. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that mm-hmm. experience. Could you please? Because these two albums uh, uh, that were tracked live and with an audience, mm-hmm. you know, how, how did that mm-hmm. go down? No pressure, really, to, oh. to you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I have a crazy story about that. It's not that crazy. But first of all, Mike texted me maybe two weeks before the whole recording session was happening. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, are you busy? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm busy. Why? What's going on? And uh, he said, I wanted to know if you would want to sing sing to the moon with Lauren Bula and play Pump Organ. And I was like, okay, I'll check my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the crazy part of that story is that the summer before... Uh, I had spent two weeks alone in New York. I took myself on a trip down here just to just to hang out and, and uh, walk around. And at the end of that trip, I was just feeling really kind of lost. I really wanted to move here, and yet it just seemed so impossible. And, like, I didn't have the character that I needed to be able to survive in yeah. a city that is just so infused with so many incredible musicians right. who work their asses right. off. And right. I, I just right. didn't know if I had it in me. And I'm feeling really lost and alone, and I literally got lost trying to find a park that I was on my way to. And I'm <laughs> listening to Laura's record the entire time, and that song I had on repeat, and here is where I admit to you that I'm a big loser. I was just crying and walking <laughs> listening to that song. <laughs> And it's so wild to have had that experience, and I can see myself now and remember how I felt and, like, wanting so much to to do this thing and feeling afraid. Oh, my God. finding a lot of solace in that song. And then to, a year later, be on, (laughs) like, beside her (laughs) and meeting Laura and singing that song with her in harmony. Mm -hmm. It's so, that is... That is like a spiritual, <laughs> deep and incredible thing that I'm I'm very grateful for. From from a, from a little sad walker looking for a park to to singing <laughs> right with her. <laughs> That's Pretty beautiful. Wild. That's cool. That's neat. <laughs> Eddie and I really loved that uh, Family Dinner Volume Two album from Snarky Puppy. And um, let's pause for a second and let's play this track uh, that features you and uh, Laura Mavula. And this is the track titled "Sing to the Moon." From our guest today, Michelle Willis, 
and of course Snarky Puppy on Inside Music Cast.
So hey, Michelle, we we have a correspondent、uh, for Inside Music Cast who is also from Toronto. His name is Don Brightup. Oh, nice! And he's got a he's got、oh. a he's got a really cool band called Monkey House. And、uh, okay, he has a question that he wanted me to pass on, and he he said he's seen your opening set, you know, where、um, several members of you know Snarky Puppy they rotate in and out, you know, and accompany you. And, right. And his、mm-hmm. question is, is how do you tame a world class groove machine like Snarky Puppy and bend them to your quiet, nuanced, you know, singer songwriter whims? <laughs> good question.、Wow. Good question. Very good. <laughs> Very well put. I, I feel like I've met Don before. I hear I recognize his name. Yeah.、Huh. Um, he's a great guy. Yeah,、uh, I, I, I don't have to tame them. Those guys love music and they love nuance and、yeah. structure, and you know that that's their jam. So I, I'm very very lucky. They, I don't really have to do too much,、um, you know, carving or or、uh, finger pointing or anything like that. They、right. they do they all do their homework. They all want to do their homework, and they.、Mm-hmm. They want it to sound as good as possible, and so they just yeah. Mike <laughs> League and、um, Mike Maher, who we call Maz, right?、Um, the two of them are my backup singers now,、hmm. and I, we we like to make fun of Mike because he sings the highest parts and plays the lowest notes. <laughs> <laughs> He's up there singing soprano while playing bass, and、uh, you know, I mean, Maz Maz is a, is a more of a trained singer, but Mike isn't a trained singer, and and all three of us together spent a lot of time. Just nailing all of those those little a lot of my stuff. There's just these tiny little turnarounds that when you get them, it just sounds so good. But it's、mm-hmm. a pain in the ass to sometimes remember all the little angles、yeah. of everything. And、yeah. Mike kills it.、Yeah. It's just so impressive. <laughs> they, the two of them, yeah, they, they, and everyone in the band works really hard to just get all the dynamic structure.、Mm-hmm. It's great. You know, when I look at your experiences as a musician and a performer, and you know, many of them we haven't even really discussed. You know, you cover a lot of of musical landscapes. You know, from folk, indie, world punk, and so on. And and you know, when you finally begin to ponder, you know, a musical direction for your first solo record,、mm-hmm. how did how did you determine where you were going to head in terms of a style? Yeah, that's the question for sure. I didn't know or set out. I really don't know. I. I was very lucky. I was、um, had a lot of guidance from Hugh Marsh, and he encouraged me always to just to listen to other records and make notes about what it is that I like and what it is that I don't like. And,、yeah. and that's what I did. I just I found all the records that I loved and and why and and what feeling I had and like named and tried to articulate everything so that when we got into the studio that I could. Articulate it to the engineers and, and the musicians, and、yeah. I, I think maybe just because it was the first real full-length album I had done, the songs were—it wasn't like I wrote like twenty songs and then started picking which ones worked and which ones didn't. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it was really just those songs. There's、uh, three others that didn't make it on that I really wanted to be on it, but it—it just—they weren't fitting. And it, once I took them out, it was very concise、mm-hmm. and just perfect. But it was. Mostly just about finding the best thing for each of those songs, and at the end, 
what really drew everything together, I think, was the, the vocal and just the way that I sing and the way that I write those the vocal arrangements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the piano, I guess, the keyboard. But I think in general, like, the, the sounds that I wanted on that were just that it was really dark and warm and that it felt concise, you know, mm-hmm. from beginning to end, that nothing really stuck out or, or was like, this yeah. is the ballad on the, on the CD or <laughs> this is the up-tempo That's dance right. number. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to be anything like that. Well, it's interesting you say that. You know, see us through. It's, it, it is relatively short. I mean, it's eight tracks, 37, uh, around, right around 37 minutes long. And, uh, mm-hmm. but, but regardless of the number of songs and the length, as you say, you know, me and Rick uh, agree that, uh, you know, it, it's very mature. It's very cohesive, like you're saying. And, uh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. this, is, this is an album that, 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 that's gorgeous. It, it has flow. And mm. it's it's uh it it flows from start to finish. You know, it, it does remind me of, you know, the 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 little cliche or the, the misnomer of album oriented rock that when you drop the needle, you want to listen to the whole thing, and that's that's the characteristic yeah. that you don't get out of a lot of music these days. But you you, yeah. you can do that with yours. You can you can sit and you can listen and, and be drawn in. So I totally agree that that, that was your goal. That uh, it, it has a beautiful uh, flow, very consistent, very nice job. I'm so glad. That's that's I, that's so good to hear. Yeah. Thank you. There's a there's two records that I really tried to or not that I, that I drew from a lot, and one of them was Bonnie Evers, um or I, don't, I never know how to say his name, but for Emma forever ago. I felt that way about that album. It was just, it was a feeling, and I would put that album on when I felt a certain way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and and then I would immediately go into that zone, and, and I love that. That's my favorite yeah. thing about. Well, it's not my favorite. It's one of my favorite things about playing music. Period, mm-hmm. or or music, and also um, uh, Brian Blade's Mama Rosa record. That album is so powerful. Oh yeah, so yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you feel it the second it starts. It's like okay, mm-hmm. this is where we are, right? And it, it it rides that up the whole way through. And I I just really wanted the album to feel like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, from what I gather, you know, from the lyrics, the the album is is very personal and written from you know many emotional perspectives from mm-hmm. your life. And you described mm-hmm. the songs as an attempt to get you know, get you to the other side of situations that came your way. And yeah. t- tell us more about. Your writing processes, both lyrically and musically. I mean, do you do you typically begin with a lyric and then wrap your score around it, or is it the other way around, or is it a combination of both? It's generally a combination. The songs that I think are the strongest, generally, I I write the lyric or melody and the lyric first. I think when I do that, like if I'm just sort of walking and I. And an idea comes to my head and I start, you know, either make a voice memo of it or write it down or whatever. Uh-huh. If I can get that part done first, then the actual content, the emotional content is a lot more concise. Yeah. Honest. Yep. Whereas what often happens, because I am lazy, <laughs> uh, is that I get the idea, maybe write a little bit of it down, and then I go do something else and I, I'll get back to it later. And I think that first moment when an idea hits you is really, you've got to go for it and you can't, you got to just say goodbye to whatever else you were doing, which is often very inconvenient. But that to me is when the most honest 
content comes across uh, lyrically, and then the mu- I you can hear the music, you know. And then if, if I sit down at the piano too early and try and make the changes or or create the changes, uh-huh. then I'm not really listening to what the song right. is in my head yep. at that point. I, I'm using my whatever instinctual voicings or chords that I am used to. Do you know what I mean? Am yeah, I, absolutely. No, it's yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, every track on the album is 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 so rich with vocal harmonies, and I'd like to say you could practically like swim through them. <laughs> they're they're so th- they're so thick and lush, and you know, angelic and gorgeous. And I I reviewed your album for the Inside Music Cast Pick of the Day a while back, and I mentioned that I hadn't heard vocal harmonies like this on a record in quite some time. And I, I, I'm assuming that you arranged and developed all of the vocal parts, but I, I wondered if you enlisted anybody else to co-arrange. Oh no. Not to write those. Okay, uh, cool. I didn't know because you know a lot yeah. of times people will co-arrange or co-write just to bounce ideas off of each other, and I didn't know if if you had done that. No, I haven't. Um, I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate that I have access to many very gifted singer friends, um, and so they're also all over the record, and I'm I'm inspired by the way they sing. the The band Deal Pairs. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. They're a singing trio from Toronto. Uh-huh. They just are enchanting, and so uh, they they breathe as one. They they end words as one. And wow. um, you said they're called the au pairs. The au pairs, yeah. O interesting, yeah. P E A R S. Yeah, yeah. They've they've. I think when they sing backups to my stuff, it's just like magic goo. Mm-hmm. And the the way that they sing, I think, inspires me also to write. With that in mind, yeah. With that possibility in mind, mm-hmm. you know that things can be that distinct and and light right. and strong or whatever, like whatever you want it to be. They can they can really articulate things so beautifully. So, and I, I think you need to you need to coin that phrase. What was it? Um, what was it? Uh, something goo. What did you call it? Magic goo. Oh, magic goo. <laughs> yeah, that's very musical. <laughs> It's a, it's a technical music term, but I love it. Hey, let's let's focus on the track "Home," which is the first track in the album, sure. and, and, and the one that mm-hmm. uh, you know I told you earlier that roped me in. And, and uh, are mm-hmm. these layers of vocal harmonies all you, or did you did you incorporate other vocalists? And, and what about the rest of the album? Did you have guest vocalists on that to help fill in the parts? Yeah. So that intro came into existence because I bought this USB mic a few years ago. Uh huh. It's lame, but it's it was great for me for recording at home, and that I'd never had that intro. I've been playing that song for years, uh-huh. and um, I just decided to make that the intro with all of these voices, and that honestly, now that I'm talking about it, I really do think that that was one of the pivotal moments of hearing that and knowing how good I felt when I listened back to it, and I that was a moment of like, I I can make a record. I need to. I need to do this. I've yeah. got to stop just having all this shit on my... Sorry. It's, That's all right. It's, on, it's a podcast. Uh, on my computer. Uh-huh. It's funny when we actually went back to record that intro years later because I just couldn't remember all of the different... There's a lot of doubles and overlapping uh-huh. things that are in there. Yeah, and yeah. I was just trying to remember it all the way they moved. But on the, on the inside of the track, the, the intro is all me, and then on the inside of the track... Um, I enlisted a lot of family and friends. Uh, there's about 15 people in the studio that day, all, all 
sort of people mostly from Toronto and uh, singers and musicians. Some of them are like professional singers. Some of them are musicians, uh, like drummers or piano yeah, players right, or something sure. who just wanted to sing. So all the voices at the end that are just saying home or leave me space and all that stuff, that's like a bunch of people that I love very much. Well, many of the songs on the album are, are you know, when I listen to it, they're essentially like a continuous sort of flowing verse as if it, you know, as if they were meant mm. to be more of like a, an orchestral composition as opposed to a, a pop song with, you know, bridges and hooks. And was this by design? Not not intentionally, okay. no. yeah. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I mean, I just sort of write what what makes sense or feels good to me. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of how it came out. Yeah. Well, hey, Michelle and Eddie, uh, let's pause for a second and let's play a track from the album See Us Through. And this is the track called Persimmon. From our guest today, Michelle Willis on Inside Music Cast. I'm holding on to a thought of you. I didn't ever want to lose it. It's been so long since I saw you now, I see. In every face, in every place that I go, I miss you. I miss being known by Do you remember that morning? It's only to try. What a child I trusted you As you cut off the pieces of my first persimmon fruit We sat and talked for a while All the things we tried to teach each other And all the things we left inside one another I'll keep you carried in Just call me I'm holding on to a thought of you I didn't ever want to lose it It's been so long since I saw you Now I see In every face In every place that I go I miss you I miss having you Got your lady And I've got my crown We hold them out Like trophies now I'm a boy Life has brought days full And wide And I love you a mile And
Let's talk about the core members of the band. You have Tom Gill on guitar, sure. Hugh, mm. Mar- Hugh Marsh on violin, great job, um, yes. Charles uh, <laughs> James on bass, and Phil uh, Millison yes. on, on drums. Um, you yes. know, you also mentioned that you had uh, a few other guests on this uh, on this project. You know, can you tell yes. us a little bit more of um, who you invited to participate on some of the tracks? Yeah, so that was the core band, those guys, and then uh, we also had Bob Pilch, uh, guitarist. Okay. He, he plays acoustic guitar on um, Battlefield. Okay. And he also, also played on a song that didn't make the record called uh, If I Had My Way, which someday I will release with a full orchestra. Oh, cool. There's a gorgeous string arrangement written by John Goldsmith for that, and it was just too heartbreaking to release it with the uh, sampled strings. I see. Which is what we, we had really a really good string sample, but anyway, sidetrack. Uh, <laughs> on the record, Rob Pilch. So, I don't know if you guys know him. He, um, I mean, right now he plays with, with Misha Bruger gossman and um, for years he toured with Blood, Sweat, and Tears and things like that. But wow. he's uh, he's just like a Toronto's best kept secret. But okay. I mean, everyone in Canada knows who he is. Say his name again. Um, Robert Pilch. Okay, I'll check him his out. His brother is a bass player, uh, and he, who was in LA. He plays on um, a lot of records with Jay Belleros and. Um, other guests on the record. Um, I, we had a lot of guitar players play different things. My friend Tom Yuhas played electric guitar on that song, Trust Me. Uh-huh. He just did some of that beautiful ambient stuff in the background. Uh-huh. A lot of what you hear, any of those kind of sparkly um, ambient pads are all hue on violin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. And there they are. You know, it's a great band. They're very, yeah. tell they're very talented, and and uh, and you know, it all worked really well. The album's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you know those guys, Tom, Gill, and Phil, and Charles. I mean, I don't know anyone else that plays like them. I mm-hmm. really don't. Mm-hmm. I've, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm very lucky. Charles has been playing with me since I was 16 years old. Oh wow! And that's not why I play with him. I mean, I, I play with him because he's so bloody good but it's, it's such a <laughs> wonderful thing yeah to to have had that friendship for that long well uh hey this goes back to the the lush vocal harmonies that we spoke of earlier but when mm. but when you perform these songs live is it difficult to re- recreate all those vocal parts in a live setting or do you do you bring yes. up it is yeah I yeah <laughs> i mean it's really bare when you're live right it's 
it's uh, it's all there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And you're probably reliant upon somebody that can mix that really well, that really knows, you know, where it's going to. I mean, that would be an integral part of, of, of that is having you know, oh, yeah. somebody behind the Jeff board. Jeff Wolpert mm-hmm. was our mixing engineer. And I actually, we just applied for the Junos, which is the basically the Canadian Grammys. And right, I was sure. trying to get Jeff nominated for a mixing uh, award, but there is none, which I think is a crime. Really? Unless wow. there's a reason for that. That's crazy. Yeah, but he really, to me, Jeff just brought the whole sound of the record to life. Yeah. Live, I think, usually it's fine. It, I'm, I'm actually, to be honest, I'm still kind of in a pickle of trying to figure out how best to showcase the songs with as little amount of people as possible yeah. without having to bring the whole band plus right. three back. Exactly, yeah. It's just a lot of people. Yeah. But it's hard because I think really those songs, what brings them to life the most is the vocals and like and a bit of groove, you know. Yeah, there's so much it's you can take. To, yeah, there's so much you can actually mm-hmm. whittle off of the the tune before the tune isn't the tune anymore. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I get the feeling from talking to you that you, if you did it, you'd want to do it. You'd want to actually perform it. You wouldn't want to have sampling happening or any right. backing track or no. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't ever really ventured down that road and. I mean, with these songs, I don't. I really don't think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I love playing solo, and I and I do that, and I think the songs translate well that way too. I mean, you get the content or the 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 intent, the feeling, for sure. It's mm-hmm. just it's just that much more affecting. I think if you yeah. if you've got some of those vocals on top, mm-hmm. yeah. Hey, uh, Michelle, you're going on the road soon with David Crosby on uh, on this yes. uh, on this tour, and you'll be joined by Mike League, of course, and uh, Becca Stevens. Is this primarily a David Crosby tour in support for his new record, which is uh, it's called Lighthouse? Or are you doing this with yeah. uh, you know all the others uh, who have the opportunity to perform their own music as well? How's that going to work out? Oh man, it's going to work out wonderfully. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> We just had two weeks of rehearsals for that, uh-huh. and uh, we're mostly playing songs from David's new record, The mm-hmm. Lighthouse Record, which Michael produced. Um, so it's wonderful that, that that album is so sparse and focuses on David's voice and his and his guitar playing. Mm-hmm. So really what, what Becca and Michael and I are adding are, are just sort of touches of reinforcement on, on different various instruments. So it's very intimate and warm. Uh, there's no drums on the, in the band. It's just three guitarists, and then I'm playing keyboard and, and bass, like key, uh, key bass sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly songs from the new record, and then we're playing a few uh, sort of old, ones of David's old hits kind of thing. Okay. A couple CSN songs, and, um, and we're also, yeah, I'm having that total honor of... Uh, performing one of Becca's songs and one of my songs as well. Nice. Yeah. Isn't that cool. a isn't that a neat um, you know convergence of of David and and Mike League and how they've done some performing together from Family Dinner Two to now this and Mike yeah. League producing his album and you know I, I love yeah. you know David Crosby has is just an amazing musician. I in fact I saw one of your mm-hmm. YouTube videos uh, where you I believe and is it Becca you and Becca are just playing around in the living room or whatever with David and you're going over some some parts and uh, is, yeah. is that was that was really nice to see the you guys working uh, together. Yeah. 
we were singing Guinevere, which like what a trip! My God, like singing <laughs> Guinevere <Yeah. laughs> and playing it with the man who wrote it. Right. It, yeah. It's uh, something else. Um, yeah. That song is so heavy. It's so cool. Yeah. I love that Guinevere is a famous song. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it's not like a a dance number. You right. know, right. <laughs> <It's pretty laughs> introspective, <laughs> multiple time changes. Yeah. You know, it's that is amazing to me. It is. You know. Um, I'm, I got sidetracked. You were no, talking no. about this rehearsal. Like, what's it like? Is that what you're saying? Well, or you were talking about this story of Michael and David? Yeah, I was. I was how the connectivity of all of you three came to be. You know, because yeah. we're we're assuming that your connection to David it really happened through the, of course, uh, Snarky's family and two dinner. dinner. Yeah, the project. Yeah. Um, had you known him prior to this, or was this your first encounter with David? No, no, it was my first time meeting him, mm-hmm. and I think he and Becca. Uh, and uh, David and his wife Jan as well really hit it off with Becca and loved her songs and they started writing together over the last year yeah. um, and and obviously Michael produced David's album and wrote with him a fair amount as well uh, for music on the record and for the last song on the album which is a, it's called By the Light of Common Day Michael texted me one day and just said, hey, could you add some backups to this and send it back to me by Monday? Mm, okay. <laughs> and I was sick at the time, and uh, I had no idea it was David. His voice, I would never in a million years have thought that that was, was David's voice. <laughs> it sounds like the, like he's like 25 years old to me. Wow. Yeah. Um, I thought it was just a guy that David or that Michael was producing that he asked if I could add some parts to. And finally, after I listened to it a few times, it, it dawned on me who it was. But and that track was what instigated the idea to both David and Michael that we should take this on the road. And because uh, he he actually wrote it, he wrote the lyrics and sent them to Becca, and Becca wrote the music, uh-huh. and then sent that to them, and they sort of rearranged it and a bit for the album and then sent me the, the vocals and we all sang all, all over it. And that song, because of that, that is one of my favorite songs to play in, in the on the tour set because uh-huh. you can just feel all of us, we all have our place mm-hmm. yeah, right. mm-hmm. in it, you know, and we all sort of rise within it. And it's a, I mean, it's also a beautiful and, and powerful song. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's very special. Well, Hey, Michelle, this has been a, f- a great chance to get to know you and, yes. uh, and to let our, our audience uh, know about your new album, See Us Through, which I guess is available to download on iTunes. You can purchase the CD, I think, on Amazon. And yep. are, are there any other places mm-hmm. where they can, they can access it? Yeah, they can buy it from the Ground Up label uh, website, which True. is groundupmusic.net. Right. Sure. Very cool. Yeah. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for spending the time with us. And, uh, and, uh, oh, thank you. We look forward to hearing more from you in the future, definitely. Thanks a lot, Michelle. Appreciate thank that. Thank you guys so much. Oh, no, it was total pleasure, and I hope I'm not boring and running off. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> we, we always tend to laugh a lot with good people, so thanks for entertaining okay, us, good. and uh, it, was, it was good <laughs> stuff. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Okay, bye, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Michelle Willis for joining us on this episode of Inside MusicCast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Scott Gross, Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, 
Don Brightup, Yinka Oyelese, and Arnaud Legere for their support and content development. For the best in West Coast AOR, pop, jazz, and funk, tune in to Inside Music Cast Radio. Download the streaming app for Android and iOS devices, or listen at InsideMusicCast.com. Inside Music Cast is powered by Earshot Audio Post and Cabello Associates. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast and Inside Music Cast Radio. Don't scratch at these old wounds, they still need some time to heal. I know we'll make it through if you can only meet me here. I love you more than words can say, but I'll still use them anyway. Tomorrow I'd be better if I could only make a way, if I could. So slow with this I wish I didn't mess up so quick But I think we are worth it in the end You and I are too damn good We just need some time to mend Don't scratch at these old wounds Still need some time to heal I know we'll make it through If you can only meet me here I love you more than words can say But I'll still use them anyway I promise I would change today If only I could If I could Yeah.